everybody welcome back to the our wisconsin revolution podcast it is anders and i'm back with my co-host will how are you doing this week will i'm living the dream anders i'm living the dream so the republican hellscape dream i guess but that's that's uh the life in wisconsin the the republican hellscape dream um but we have a we have a great owr endorsed candidate coming on for our interview today but before that we wanted to talk about What's been in the news this week, and of course this week, um, as many of you all have heard, Tyree Nichols was murdered um, by Memphis police after being pulled over. He was beaten to death um, and, you know, died died in the hospital three days later after this encounter. Um, another instance of state violence, the impracticality of police not really keeping our communities safe um in fact in almost all cases making our communities more dangerous um will what what are your what are your thoughts what are your thoughts after seeing yet another one of these police murders i have to defer back to the famous quote uh the definition of insanity right is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results i don't understand how many times we're going to have to see the police acting essentially as a, as a gang above the law with no repercussions. And you can say, oh, the officers were fired. They were arrested. Yes, they were. But that doesn't when you punish individual officers, that doesn't address the systemic problem whatsoever. Yep. Uh, you know, Memphis police. If you've seen the video, there was significantly more than five officers on the scene. Yep. <laughs> and this whole the whole story about oh you know it's just a, a handful of bad apples well you're not a good apple quote unquote if you're standing around watching the bad apples poison your community beat up innocent civilians like yeah. come on come well, on I what? Know what has been so frustrating I think in the in the aftermath of this is is you talked about the the definition of insanity here. Yet Democrats have decided that their response to this in Congress will be the exact same as, you know, the last 10 times this has happened on the national stage, which is let's take out the justice, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which has already failed and, by the way, would not have actually prevented the death of George Floyd himself. Um, this bill that was, you know, greatly inadequate um, and has already been blocked by Manchin and Cinema a few times and just parade that same bill around and you know supposedly act like they they really really care and then when the bill gets defeated they go oh shucks maybe next time um or the classic well we just need better training which is essentially yeah. just saying more funding <laughs> they're just saying we want more right. funding to throw and, at and these the, and the solution in reality regardless of what people have been saying the congressional responses the congressional response in reality to this has been more funding more funding, more funding, more funding, more funding. That has been the entire Biden administration's MO, is maybe if we throw a ton of cash at our police departments, they'll finally get trained well enough to not go around murdering innocent people, which really doesn't seem to be working right now. The money and cash that they're throwing at all these departments is just further emboldening them to go and act like they're they're literally immune and they can do whatever they want. 
Well, if you've looked into the history of um, some of this police training, there there's a handful of examples of former cops who have essentially made that their career. They go around the country putting on seminars for other police officers. And what they talk about most, uh, the vast majority of the time is the most important aspect of your career is coming home at night. That's it. We don't care about anything else as long as you make it home at night. And they've they've kind of internalized this. It's a war on the streets. It's us versus them mentality. You know, they, they officers want to sit around and act like, why don't people respect us? Uh, blah, blah, blah. They see us like we're an occupying force. Well, maybe if you didn't have your own unique flag <laughs> and act like you're beyond right. the repercussions of the law, so people wouldn't like see you, you as an oncoming force. force. Right, exactly. And and I think, too, like I'm originally from Minneapolis and in Minneapolis, we have a police force of we have a massive police force. I think we have a thousand, almost a thousand uniformed officers in the city and less than 10 percent of them actually live in Minneapolis. That's why these communities feel that you are an invading penetrating force it's because you literally are you're coming into these communities and and that's done on purpose white rich suburbs yeah literally to go and fight this war that you're talking about to feel like they're in a war zone and it's easier to ask someone to brutalize civilians if it's not members of their own community right if it's not their neighbors if it's not their friends their family then oh yeah they'll go in there and and beat the crap out of them and pepper spray them and bust out the riot gear then it's no big deal but i don't know there's something about this case where i think you know after the murder of george floyd and after brianna taylor there were mass movements all over the country and not that there haven't been in response to this tyree nichols case but I think that people seem to be a little fed up with just being told to go and protest because they went in protest in massive numbers, you know, in 2020 after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were killed and, and, and nothing, nothing happened. Nothing, nothing changed. happened. Even the people who were in elected office that said they were their allies didn't change anything. So now why, why, would people feel emboldened to go into the streets and advocate for change if, you know, at this point, it really seems like nothing is really going to change. I'll point out as well that I think what's different about uh, the Nichols situation is a lot of conservative, both media personalities and, um, you know, moderately well-known Twitter accounts or or any of the these type of uh, voices on the right, have kind of come out and said like, okay, yeah, this was this was bad. Do we need to do something about police? And if they're saying that, right, yeah. then imagine what the average American who's not, you know, well in tune to politics and doesn't really pay attention to to news at the national level is seeing. If they're watching this this video, they have to be morbidly disgusted, yeah. as anybody with a soul should be. Yeah. Um, but we have seen in the past. George Floyd, for example, that a lot of bad actors uh, have kind of used the, the they refuse to let a good crisis go to waste, I believe is the quote that I heard on Fox <laughs> News accusing Democrats uh, of. But uh, they have to control the narrative. They have to turn it into something to discuss whatever they want. Now, there have been some uh, conservative media outlets who have painted this as a, you know, because everybody wants to defund the police, nobody wants to be a cop anymore. So they're 
scraping the bottom of the barrel to find whoever they can get to sign up, which of course right. is insanely racist. And they're only saying that because of the demographics of the Memphis PD. Um, but it's going to take a national movement of all Americans getting behind the idea that the police are not here to protect us they're here to protect and serve the interests of capital to maintain the status quo nothing exactly. more nothing less and until the majority of working class average americans come to understand that nothing's going to change and i feel like there's so many realistic solutions we could have to this like you look at the state of wisconsin unions have been essentially destroyed by the scott walker administration but you know who is whose union was not touched who's still incredibly incredibly powerful the, the police, police union. union absolutely and it was if we forced every officer in the country to have malpractice insurance the insurance industry would would immediately root out the bad cops because they would be financially incentivized to do so like is we need to recognize that you can use the power of capital against the interests of capital if you're able to properly place these interests against each other if that makes sense yeah well another another frustrating week in america and, and this feels you know it's an endless pattern and you know there's a, there's a little bit of hopelessness here but on a lighter note now i want to transition to our interview um, with Sam Harshner, who is an OWR endorsed candidate for the Sherwood Village Board of Trustees. Hang on, and we'll be right back with Sam. So we say, we always say to Black Panther Party that they can do anything they want to do. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can do my said with the last words on my lips. And I am a revolutionary. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. This week, we're joined by Samuel Harshner, who is running for the Village Board in Shorewood, Wisconsin. Sam, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Yeah. So do you just want to start by talking about the race a little bit? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what what the makeup? How, first of all, maybe how a village board works in comparison to a city council and just mm -hmm. um, talk about, you know, why you thought it was an important election to run in um, and, and why you're trying to become engaged. Some sure, brief I mean, context for the listeners who might not be as well versed on local politics as they may be on state or national politics. Yeah. Hey, I'll do I'll do my I'll do my best here, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The um, in general, um, you know, village board is is analogous to a city council or a common council like Milwaukee has. Um, <clears throat> the big difference in villages like this um, is that there is often a village manager that that does a lot of the day-to-day -day operations of the uh of the city there's not really a mayor so when you're interacting uh with uh you know kind of with the with the, the you know kind of the city uh city operations there's no elected official at the top of that heap right but so that you know the village board really serves as the um you know kind of the 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 voice of the people in the operations of the village right and it's done it's done you know to maintain continuity uh because many of the issues um uh dealt with at a local level like this are highly technical and so traditionally there's been a uh there's been a desire to have a uh, you know kind of somebody who's who's a career staffer somebody who's apolitical uh in charge of those operations so the village board is is um again it's it's a nonpartisan election uh, like uh, like all local elections in Wisconsin, um, and it's it's uh, we're here to serve as the voice of the people in in local government. Um, in t on top of that, 
you know, I would, you want to, at the local level, you always have to distinguish between uh, there being two local governments, right? There's always a school board as well as a, as well as a village board. So uh, the village board really handles, um, you know, kind of all government and local government operations outside of, um, outside of education. So that's everything from the local police to the, um, uh, to, to the kind of the infrastructure, um, you know, kind of infrastructure workers in, in town, garbage, you know, garbage disposal, um, you know, uh, road streets and street and road repair at a local level, um, uh, things like that. So, um, uh, you know, also villages and, uh, you know, the village government is, is also in charge of economic development policy and zoning policy, which is where it really has, um, where the rubber hits the road in terms of economic development, right? So, so, you know, what businesses come in, what kind of, what, do, what does the, what does the, the business district of a locality look like? What, uh, you know, um, what, what is the housing stock like? That's, those are, those are the sorts of decisions, um, that, uh, that a local village board would make, um. So I'm not sure if that's comprehensive enough, but yeah. uh, that's the gist of it. Yeah, no, that that's that's very very helpful. So I guess um, my my first question then would be, you know, what have the main issues that the Shorewood Village Village Board has been dealing with right now, and you know, if it relates at all almost every local candidate guest we have on complains about the Republicans atta- Republicans attacking shared revenue. The fact that municipalities have less and less money to work with because Republicans are refusing to, you know, share, share taxes with uh, local municipalities. So what is, what are like the main issues framing this election? Um, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disappoint you because I'm going, I'm going to go right to that. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there is a, there's been a long-term effort to to foist cuts upon local government as a means of, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as a means of um, uh, you know kind of avoiding avoiding responsibility for cuts on the part of the Republican Party. So you cut sh- shared revenue, don't give localities their share of of the you know kind of tax revenue. Um, uh, at the state level, you you end up with a situation where local government is consistently in a, in a in a in a fiscal crisis and has to cut and and uh, find efficiencies where no efficiencies remain and and that causes causes a lot of problems. But that's really a broader you know kind of uh, you know there's a broader trend you know that really starts in the 1970s with local and municipal government that um, that that's rooted in the phenomenon and the economic um, kind of movement we call neoliberalism, which is again backing away from Funding operations through taxation and through through the pr- direct provision of services towards a an indirect model where where the way in which you the only way in which you can affect local you know vitality the well being of a community is by engaging in in um, in, in economic development policy i.e. you know offering incentives and and um, and um, you know kind of uh, you know kind of allowances you know kind of freedoms for for local businesses to come in and operate in your territory as a means of increasing tax revenue and increasing economic vitality in the area um you know so we, we're in we're in a situation where you see a race to the bottom and this is you know all local governments face this where you cannot raise taxes because you'll lose out on, on job providers you will lose out on uh, local businesses coming into your area um and so you you're you're in this ever increasing cycle of cutting services um offering better and better incentives to local businesses to come in um and it's just unsustainable Right. And, and uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's that's uh, that's really being we're really starting to see, um, you know, that that's something that hits cities first. So, you know, starting in New York all the way back in the 1970s, uh, Detroit declared bankruptcy. Milwaukee is facing uh, serious problems on this front as well. Um, and we're seeing it at other smaller localities, the suburban areas that have been relatively insulated uh, from them because uh, because of higher property values. Um 
the upside is, um, you know, the only tool left in our tool belt is this uh, this economic development policy, whereby we, through tax incremental financing or, you know, kind of allowances or variances from our zoning code, we try to in- inspire businesses to come in, <clears throat> set up shop in our area, increase tax bases, increase the tax base so we have more money to help our help our citizens, right? Um, ultimately, that, that um, you know, I mean, it, philosophically, from a broader perspective, that's destructive, right? You're, you're always going to be uh, funneling services towards, uh, towards business as opposed to citizens. Um, but, you know, I mean, given the context, you have to engage in that sort of policy. And I think one of the things that I'm interested in is making sure that if we're doing economic development policy here in Shorewood, uh, meaning if we're offering uh, tax incremental financing for infrastructure developments that, is, that, a, that, a, that a business wants, or we want to build a facility that, that will house a local business or or help with improvements in some fashion using public dollars one way or another, right? That we get something on the back end for that, right? So there is an instance in, in Chicago, just to give you an example of what that means, where um, there were, there was tax incremental financing being uh, being um, uh, requested for a development in, in, a, in a relatively, uh, you know, kind of relatively um, rich and well-off area of Chicago. Um, and the teachers union was able to leverage their, um, you know, kind of the, a threat of a strike to ensure that that they um, that they indirectly found a way to funnel TIF funding towards school supplies for children, right? So there's, there's um, you know, this is the sort of thing we need to be engaged in. How can we ensure if we're, if we're paying, a, you know, a big corporation to come into our area, right, um, to, to, uh, to, uh, to provide jobs, that those jobs are good jobs, right? That we don't end up in a situation where uh, as soon as a business comes in, they start cutting staff or minimizing staff and, and underpaying staff um, uh, such, that, such that the quality of service declines, the, the experience of workers declines, and, and the overall, you know, the overall, um, you know, kind of business is, is not what the community wanted in the front end. If we're, if we're bringing in, um, if we're bringing in uh, local developers and we're giving them a, a variances from things like parking uh, requirements and things like that, are we going to ensure that that uh, what we're doing is bringing families in? Are we are we going to be able to to provide uh, you know provide units that are affordable to to families to come and utilize our incredible uh, c- incredible public schools here in this this locality? That's the sort of thing we need to be thinking about. Um, and we can't uh, you know we we can't really take people's word at it. We need to be very vigorous in how we how we set these uh, set these contracts and arrangements up up front, so it's that we ensure that that again the community is getting something out of this. It's not just uh, it's not just uh, you know, paying somebody to profit in the community, right? So that that would be that would be the key and core thing that I'm interested in. Um, th- another thing, you know, that that we need to do in this state, and I'm sure you gentlemen are well aware of this. I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. I can you can you can jump in if you no, want. No, you're to. totally good. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Right. We, okay, so, the audience okay. knows what we think. We bring the expert in to hear their opinions. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm a professor, man. So if you let me go, I will just uh, I will just talk uh, talk ad nauseum. But um, <laughs> no. Um, no, another thing that we see is is um, uh, you know we we don't have a democracy in this state in many ways, right? We have a situation in which um, in which it's almost impossible to to um, you know uh, elect a non-Republican um, majority in our in our state legislature, right? Then it's nigh on impossible to to uh, to elect a, a veto-proof majority at this point, uh, a veto-proof minority, I should say, at this point, meaning. It's it's really uh, we really live in a one party state with a few key places where that can be resisted. That's despite the fact that in numerous legislative elections since these new maps were put together and, and the state was gerrymandered, we had we've had majority um, majority Democratic votes in these legislative elections and yet maintain 60 plus percent of the legislature is Republican. Now, the the upshot of that is. 
how do you save democracy? You deepen democracy, right? Meaning we, we, um, you know, if we, if we just let the existing uh, you know, voting patterns go and, uh, you know, attempt to attempt to change things in that way, um, we're not going to see we're not going to see people move away from their traditional allegiances, and we'll we'll end up with this kind of minoritarian government that we've had for um, you know for the past decade. The 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 key is trying to engage people at a at a local level so that we start to we start to organize people to recognize that democracy is is something that you uh, that, that you experience and act on in a day to day life. Meaning organizing people to to actively resist the the really corrosive policies that this Republican regime has instituted for the state. Um, and you can use local office to to serve as both a uh, as both a um, you know kind of a, um, a a voice criticizing that, but also as a as a platform to to help organize people to to push back against these um, you know kind of these un- these unjust regimes, right? So I think that's um, that's another thing. Is that that uh, you know I'm an organizer at heart, and that's what I you know uh, I want to bring that to the to to office as well. Um, I'm not sure if that's that's enough for the time being. You guys, you, you guys, any questions? I'm. <laughs> Uh, something something you touched on earlier was, of course, public dollars, and sure. that has to bring the quote to the forefront, socialism for the rich, rugged individualism for the poor, right? We right. have two different uh, economies in the United States, and we're seeing this movement uh, nationally, power to the people, right? Campaigns to work towards uh, a more green, ener- uh, renewable, reliable sure. energy source for the future. Uh, and this begs the question, of course, municipally owned utility companies. What is your stance on this? Um, why private utilities are causing problems across not just the state of Wisconsin, but nationally, uh, particularly we saw this in Texas, for those who mm-hmm. follow the news would, would know Absolutely. of that story. How are we able to take this next step uh, to take something that is used by every single individual in the state, but has been privatized uh, to the, allow the profits to flow into the hands of a very elite few? I mean, generally speaking, you see um, you see public utilities operate more efficiently than uh, than private utilities, uh, at least in terms of in, in relation to the consumers. And that's largely, I think, because we uh, you know, public utilities don't uh, owe any allegiance or, or dividends for that matter to stockholders. Right. So so you can you can um, any profits or any money that comes in in the door can be reinvested in making the, making the, um, the system more um, uh, more efficient, uh, making it more green. Uh, making it more equitable by, you know, uh, ensuring that people don't lose their uh, lose their electricity, their their heat, in in um, uh, just because they lose their job or their they they uh, experience hardships of any of any other kind. I'm in, I'm for publicly owned uh, utilities, and I will um, I will continue to work with the Power to the People campaign in Milwaukee, and um, would be an advocate of that in um, in our area as well. Um, so so that's uh, you know that's a long term organizing project, right? That's not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, that that's going to take a lot of educating and a lot of, of uh, uh, you know of building of, of power. Um, the iron, yeah, no pun intended. The um, but the um, uh, the other you know the other side of that is that you know the. The, the the private utilities have all the money in the world and all the incentive in the world to really push back against this and and really try to present this <clears throat> present public utilities as inefficient as destructive as as a fool's gambit um we we it's gonna you know we they they have the resources to do that we have people and we get we have to use people and and personal connections and organizing to, to push back against that but i mean to, so, to sum up i'm for i'm for um publicly owned utilities um and want to build towards that and and um not just in milwaukee but in in uh in in suburban areas as well and the irony of course is that these private power corporations are able to use their wealth, their influence, their lobbying money to get into the heads of officials who are able to purposely defund these public utility companies, thus creating a lower 
quality product, which no scares the majority of people who aren't well-versed on the situation into uh, demanding a need for more private enterprise. Yeah, I mean, the the, the bar is always, is, is always harder with change, right? People know what they have, and even if they're not happy with, uh, with, with We Energies, which is a pretty common sentiment, um, you, you have to convince convince them that things aren't going to get worse, and that that's the work we have to do, right? So, so really, really educate people on 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 the fact that pro- public utilities can be just as, if not more efficient, uh, more cost effective than than private utilities, right? And certainly, um, you know, because they're democratically held, because they don't have short term profits in mind, but have long term, you know, kind of the long term well being of the citizens in mind, like certainly will be will will make it easier to transition towards green energy than uh, than it would under a uh, under a private uh, under a private uh, uh, utility. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask about you. You've mentioned a few times that like. At, at heart, you are very much an activist and, you know, along with OWR endorsing you, you have DSA's endorsement as well. Um, I kind of just wanted to ask what it what it would look like in local government. What does it look like when somebody, you know, is a true activist in office? I mean, I think we've seen this in Wisconsin recently from a few people like Ryan Clancy certainly comes to mind as somebody who is certainly like an activist in the way that he holds office. But what does it, you know... What what do you think it looks like to you to truly be an activist when you're holding office and be engaging your constituents in a truly democratic way? What what does that look like in in you know a, a small suburban area? Right. No, I mean it's um, some of that will be learning by doing without question. But I think the first of all, it means uh, it means being utterly transparent about both your motivations and about what you're what you're trying to achieve and what you you know what you see happening. Um, you know. Including people's voices within uh, within the, uh, the the policy the policy process as much as possible. It would mean um, finding people and and uh, you know uh, who are who are educated and interested on a given issue um, and asking them to to help uh, reach out to others to to start to educate on on issues of policy. Um, bringing public voice to bear on issues that uh, that are um, uh, that are that are controversial or that uh, that um, you know that require. Um, you know, um, which in which um, in which the popular the popular interest might be at odds with what uh, what those in office are interested in. I mean, it means it means doing organizing work, right? So so you know, I, I'll give you an example of what I what I envision in some ways. Um, I worked at, I work at Marquette in in um, in a couple of years ago during the midst of the COVID crisis. There was a an effort or a desire to cut a bunch of staff from Marquette uh, as a cost cutting measure uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and I and a number of other colleagues uh, did some organizing work to try to push back against that to save jobs. One of the things that um, that I <clears throat> and a, a close colleague and friend of mine were able to do was to reach out to other Jesuit schools across the country to form a network that was able to apply pressure not just on our individual universities but on on you know on the catholic church on the on the uh, on the jesuit order and things like and things like that to try to to try to say hey listen um in a in a in an environment like this the um uh you know the the uh the you know, saving saving your budget by uh by cutting staff instead of going into your endowment is is irresponsible um and so we did i think um ultimately uh save quite a few jobs as a result of that um and it was that horizontal organizing reaching out to other jesuit universities and, and pulling pulling them together based on our common interests i think that was really that was really one of the most effective things and i think you know so it's not only deepening, you know, kind of our, you know, discerning what the public interest is in in the community and trying to organize people. 
people to uh, to uh, make sure their voices are heard, but also you know reaching out to like-minded um, you know kind of local officials who have a common interest in creating a more just Wisconsin and more you know kind of uh, more progressive Wisconsin um, to try to put pressure on the state government as well will be will be useful as well. And so there are there are any number of people who are who are in local government that are interested in pushing for uh, substantial change at the state level. Um, and we need, you know, individually, we're just voices in the, you know, voices in the wilderness, but together there's, there's the capacity to start to, to, to amplify, um, you know, make make our voices more than the sum of their parts. Right. So, so those would be the two vectors, right? You, you go deep in, in the community, you go, you go out horizontally within, you know, within people with, that are in similar roles. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's no, yeah, that... the broad, the broad, from the broadest, most abstract standpoint. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think that you have, you know, clearly such a strong experience in doing this work already that that I think that provides a lot of confidence because, you know, a lot of the time when you have people who are are taking up some of these fights, like, you know, workers' rights fights for the first time when they get into office, it can be hard to orient yourselves, especially in a system where, you know, it's the the system is designed to fight back against a lot of those those changes it's good to have that experience and that orientation i guess the last the last question that i had i i was wondering if there were any key issues in your community or any issues that we didn't ask about that your campaign is highlighting or anything that we may have missed i mean i think um what what we you know what you hear about in this community a lot i've heard two things um over and over again there's there's like you know i've already mentioned the economic development policy there's a lot of um a lot of frustration with that and it's it's um it's a complicated area and so educating people on it and, and making sure they understand the context in which we're operating is important um so that's been that's been one thing right and again i want i want to see economic development that that ensures that whatever private partners we engage with are are giving back to the community in, in substantial ways not just uh you know not not just operating for profit right uh, especially if there's public dollars or, or public right. uh, you know, public investment of one kind or another um put in there um the other thing uh, that I hear a lot is transparency, right? And that was something I didn't expect. But um, and that's why going to doing the doors and knocking doors is really important. I've heard from a lot of people about their feelings that they're not being heard by government and and they're not being there that their voices aren't being considered. So um, you know, I'm committed to to ensuring that um, that that people feel heard. That transparency is, um, uh, you know, kind of that, that we're that we are broadly transparent. Um, that um, uh, you know that that if we're going to go against the public voice, that we explain ourselves and and, and hold ourselves accountable for those for those choices, right? Um, there's always a tension between, uh, you know. Uh, following what the public wants and using your judgment within uh, within your role as, a, as an elected official, right? That's never going to go away, right? But you owe everyone, you know, accountability and clarity on why you're making your choices. And so, um, you know, after these, you know, again, this wasn't, you know, it's not in my literature. It's not, uh, it's not something that I uh, that I thought about ahead of time. You know, as I've talked to people, it's just become very clear that uh, that focusing on that transparency and listening to people about how we how we make them feel more heard in in uh, in, in you know kind of policy discussions going to be really key right i don't think that ever gets perfect you know i'm, I'm not here to to castigate the existing officials um i just want to respond to what people are um uh, what people are saying to me which in theory should be your role as their elected representative ideally yeah absolutely right absolutely and so that's that's you know we're going to have to think hard about how that how that best works right that's that's the uh that's uh, that's what's very clear here 
Yeah. And that well, kind of feeds into the whole gerrymandering narrative, too, with uh, uh, yeah, nobody representing so, their constituents. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so some some of this, you know, and honestly, some of this may be a proxy for that, too. Right. People feel very frustrated and unheard. And you see, like, you know, all these signs stop gerrymandering throughout town. Right. I think people are really in, in Shorewood are extremely, you know, are extremely informed about politics and they know the score. And so, you know, um, there's a lot of frustration that comes out that that's that's, uh, you know, coming out in a lot of ways. And so. I want to respond to that as much as possible. Right. So, so, you know, uh, I'm happy to, I'm happy if, if people disagree with me to, to let me have it, but, uh, but I want to, you know, I, 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 um, I want to make sure they're hurt. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think this, this provide provides such a great new opportunity to reinvest people in some of these community local politics. The fact that like statewide, um government just doesn't work and aren't representing people and aren't truly listening provides yeah. a great opportunity for the this you know you know new investment and engagement in getting people to participate in in local elections and local government and it's and if you don't mind me saying like it's it's even more important now that we that the journal the that the field of journalism has been so denuded of resources that that uh you know kind of focus on local governance even in a city like Milwaukee Right. Right. <laughs> is 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 almost zero. Right. The the Journal Sentinel has to make do with with a skeleton staff and they can only cover so many uh, issues even at, in the in Milwaukee, let alone yeah. um, let alone zoning board meetings in, in a suburb. Right. So. So, you know, that used to be there. It really did. Right. Those there used to be reporters at school board meetings at, at um, you know, the village board meetings at, at zoning board meetings. These are, these are important discussions. They matter to people's lives very directly. And we don't have the that, you know, the field doesn't have the capacity to do that anymore. If we're not um, if we're not making sure people hear about these things, they won't. And and that turns that turns governance into something mystical and kind of beyond everybody. And it, and people won't, can't even uh, can't feel like they, they don't even have the slightest clue what's going on because how would they you know i mean it's it's uh the people most people don't have the time to hit up uh, hit up a number hit up like three or four meetings a week to uh you know to, to kind of get their heads around the issues so um really if we're not doing that outreach uh in a really substantial way right um and and again i'm not uh, i don't want to castigate or, or throw cast aspersions at the existing uh, people in office right uh it just seems like people feel like they don't, they, they don't know what's going on. And when that, when they don't know what's going on and they see things happen, they, there, there's all sorts of, of, you know, connections they make that may or may not be true. Right. So we have to, we have to do the job of, of, of ensuring that people know what's going on, why things are happening, give them a, give them a, a sense of the scope and scale of the debate uh, so that they, so they can participate meaningfully as citizens. Right. That's what we, we owe them. Right. So um, that's, again, that's, that's the thing that emer that's emerged out of this, these discussions. Um, so, you know, I remain open to suggestions on that front without question. Well, um, Sam, thank you so much again for coming on and working and first of all, working with us and fighting for the people that, um, you know, are often not represented in local government. And thank you for working with us. Thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about your race. Um, do you just before we go want to drop anywhere where people can find you online, um, volunteer, contribute to your campaign? Uh, wow. I, uh, off the top of my head, I know <laughs> they, uh, they can reach me at, uh, vote for Sam Harshner at gmail.com. They, uh, what's my Twitter handle? Sorry. I'm just pulling this up. <laughs> no, you're totally good. We, uh, we added this it, anyway, it, it, so. what's that? Oh yeah. Get, get, it, we can, yeah. we can edit it up anyway. So. Right. Okay. You'll sound but like it's... you knew it right away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should, but I don't yet. Uh, it's at Sam, 
number four Shorewood uh, uh, is my is my Twitter handle, um, and my Instagram uh, is uh, one second here. We will get that. Uh, da, 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 da. This is the part I'm not uh, I'm not terribly familiar with, right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, my Instagram handle is vote for Sam Harshner, just like the email address. So um, and and uh, there's uh, so that that would be the ways to to get get in touch with me right now. The website is almost done, but it is uh, it has been a, a laborious process, one that I'm not familiar with. And as soon as I get that, I'll shoot that, I'll shoot that link over to you guys. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sam, so much again for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you guys next week.